thank you. We've got a little um, goal to be out of debt by the end of this year, and I've um, sent you all email. Thank you so much for those that have responded so generously already, and it's looking good that we're going to be out of, out of debt, which is really cool, but I'll feed back to you after uh, in January just to how much money came in. But uh, we're going to just take up our offering as normal this morning, and I'm going to preach briefly out of uh, Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to go and eat together. Yes? So there's the turkey people, there's the beef people, and there's the, there's the other kind of people that eat seafood. So whatever category you're in this morning, I trust you're going to have a great lunch with your family. Um, I was at the pub yesterday, um, reading the newspaper, as you normally do in the pub, and I saw an article by a guy called Matthew Paris. Anyone, anyone heard of Matthew Paris? Well, you should, you should read his stuff. He's, he's, uh, he writes for the Times and other, and other newspapers, and he's an atheist, and I always find his, um, his writing incredibly interesting. And so the headline of the article I was reading in the, in the Times yesterday was why I as an atheist believe in Christmas and believe in the monarchy, which is a very interesting title for an atheist. So basically what, what he was saying is that um, he doesn't believe in Jesus, he doesn't believe in the incarnation, he doesn't believe in any of that stuff, but there's something wonderful about the Christmas message that he has to, he has to admit to. And he, he was referencing Prince Charles who was... Um, having his speech, uh, on, and I didn't hear it, but he apparently shared a thought for the day where he talked about the history of our nation being a Christian nation, and although we tolerant, there's a tolerance towards every kind of uh, uh, belief, that there was something wonderful about our, our nation being rooted in a Christian history, and also that the monarch in a way represents that. And I found it fascinating that um, Matthew Paris ended off by saying that um, he recognized all of that, and he, he, out of all the world re religions, he thought that Christianity was going in the right direction, which is quite an amazing thing for an, for an atheist to say. And uh, he ended off by saying this, uh, I wish the story of the baby in the manger was true, but it isn't. That's how he finished the article. What I want to say, I know that the story of the baby in the manger is true, and that's why we're to, to, together today. And I absolutely believe in uh, all that the incarnation represents, and I've given my life to that. But I trust that over this um, period of Christmas, you will have some time to think for yourself and reflect and enjoy your family and all those good things, but to reflect on what we really do celebrate. And for me, I'd like to just look at um, Mary's song this morning with you as uh, the conclusion to this little series that I've been doing out of um, Luke. And I'm fascinated how many ladies, you know what? Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible are women. I love that. I love that. God is so kind, isn't he? He just kind of takes all of people's prejudices and shakes them upside down. The last people to see Jesus on the cross were women. The first people to witness the resurrection were women. And the heroes of our story at Christmas time are women. <laughs> I think that's delightful. I think God is brilliant. He just does what he wants to do, and he doesn't really care about norms of society. And I want to encourage you, ladies, this morning, that wherever the gospel goes and truly is preached, women are liberated to the full potential that God has for them. Always. 
You go and read history, you'll see that. And here we have the story of two great heroes, great heroines, Elizabeth and Mary, and we're going to look at it uh, this morning briefly. Uh, just for a brief context for some of you that are visiting, um, I've tried to have a look at this story of Luke for a number of reasons, um, because Luke really, of all the gospel writers, he's quite unique in the fact that he records some things that not, the other gospel writers don't. So, for example, John the Baptizer is introduced by um, Luke, and he doesn't, the, the other gospels don't recognize John's birth in the same way. And he does that to show some amazing things. He, he does that to demonstrate the difference between John and Jesus, and that Jesus is unique and greater than John in every way. And I had a look at that in the first week that I preached, and then I also had a look at the two responses of Zechariah, uh, to the promise of God for the child that his wife is carrying, and the response of Mary. And I try to encourage you to say, let's have the same heart that Mary had when she didn't understand what God was doing. She simply said, Lord, help me understand. When Zechariah didn't understand what God, God was doing, he demanded more evidence, and he said, God, you need to give me some more proof that this is going to be true. And so much, I said to you, sometimes in our lives, we can be like that. When God speaks the word in our lives, instead of saying, Lord, I don't understand fully, but help me to understand, we can, we can demand more evidence, and we like to spiritualize it. We, we use words like, I'm going to lay out a fleece before the Lord, and if he, if he comes through with these five or six things, then I will believe that what he's saying is true. It's really unbelief, isn't it? And so it's, I would encourage you to respond always with that, with that soft heart, even when you don't understand what God um, is doing in your life. And then <clears throat> I had a look at how Jesus is, is called the Son of the Most High last week and the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus being in the line of David. And uh, the wonderful thing of Gabriel's prayer is he promises us, he says, of this king, this Emmanuel, his kingdom will know no end, and his rule and his reign will be forever. And I find that personally incredibly encouraging, particularly as we have a look at this last year, which has been a difficult year in many ways for the world, hasn't it? It's been a disappointing year in many ways. Uh, we've seen increasing discrimination. We've seen increasing racism. We've seen anti-immigration rhetoric from po popular newspapers that has all fueled this kind of the worst fears of people. And this week, another atrocity in Berlin, another terrorist attack. And yet, uh, those things then come to cement in people's hearts hatred towards others, distrust of others. And it seems to me that the generosity of God's kingdom is very seldom seen in the world in which we live. And ultimately, His kingdom is about generosity. God so loved the world, He was so generous to the world, that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not die, but will have eternal life. Uh, his his, his, his uh, forgiveness of us is ultimately absolute amazing generosity that He would overlook our sin because of His Son, and we could be made right with Him. And my appeal to you, uh, my appeal to you as Christians is, can we start to understand that for our own lives and live with that same generosity towards others? That we would forgive others with the same generosity. That we would live with kindness, the same kindness that God has shown us, we would show towards others. That we would parent with that same kindness, that same love that God has shown us, we would extend that to our children. It's amazing how hard it is to do. It's easy to say, but how hard it is to do. 
and it's only possible by the Holy Spirit. And that would be my prayer for you and for myself, that we would hear those words of Gabriel ringing loud and clear in our ears, above the clamor of the world, above uh, people's opinions, and that we would see ultimately the kingdom of God is come in Christ. It is here, and His reign will know no end. Do you perceive that for your own life? And so, having said that as an introduction, let's have a look at these two remarkable women, and I hope that will help us to grow in our love for Jesus and all that He's done. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please can you ring, uh, read with me Luke 1 from verse 39. Remember, um, Gabriel has told Mary that she's going to have a child. Uh, she responds with, how can that be? And then Gabriel again answers that the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her, that this, this divine conception is going to happen. And uh, he then speaks to Mary and says, remember, nothing is impossible with God. And he tells her also that Elizabeth is going to be pregnant, even though she's old and barren. And so that news is ringing in her ears, it's ringing in her heart, and she says this in verse 39. It says, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to the city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that is John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. I remember that as a dad. Dads, do you remember the first time that you felt your child move in your, your wife's tummy? Anyone remember that? I remember that. There's another one. And you, you, you put your ear to the... Didn't you not do this? Or was I sort of strange? Um, you put your ear to your wife's stomach and you try and hear the baby and you feel it kick. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's one of the privileges of, of being a parent. <laughs> I must be strange. Everyone's looking at me like this. It's a very strange thing to say. But anyway, it's not a strange thing to say. And I love the story of, um, of, of, of uh, Mary going to Elizabeth because it says as soon as, as, as Mary comes, John, the Holy Spirit in John, in the, in, in the womb, recognizes what's about to happen and leaps for joy. Don't you think it's amazing? The baby inside leaps for joy and celebrates. That's what the Scripture says. And she exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is... Why is this that granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so we know already that uh, in Luke 1.15, Zechariah had been told that John the baptizer would be filled from the very beginning with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. And that's an amazing promise. It simply means that right from his conception, there was a unique control that the Holy Spirit had over the life of John until he completed his mission as a grown man. And um, Luke gives the evidence of that. And the evidence is as soon as Mary approaches carrying the Son of God in her womb, little John in the womb recognizes who is coming in a sense and leaps for joy and celebrates even as a baby. And then Luke, um, Mary responds, uh, Elizabeth responds with this, this amazing phrase, Mary, my child, is leaping for joy. The Holy Spirit has helped him before he can even speak to witness to the, what is happening in your womb. And so there's a, I'd just like to make three very simple points. First, this amazing woman, Mary, and the godless, godless, godliness that she shows. And um, when Mary... Uh, when this thing happens and Mary sees this happening, 
she sees the most remarkable thing that's about to happen, and that God is about to change the course of human history, and the most important three decades of time are about to start uh, in, the, in the life of Jesus. And it's amazing to me that in all of this, God is busy occupying himself with these two obscure ladies that no one has ever heard of, one old and barren, and the other one possibly 15 or 16, a young virgin. I find that incredible, that God is, is so concerned with those that no one else sees, that when He's about to do the most remarkable thing the world has ever seen, He chooses the most obscure people to demonstrate His power through. A barren old lady and a young virgin. And so Mary's so moved by this, she understands what's happening, that she does what people normally do when they can't express themselves in words. She sings. Don't you find that remarkable? When people don't know what to do sometimes, when they can't express the deepest parts of their heart, they don't sometimes choose words. They choose a song, and they sing. And this, this um, song that she sings has traditionally become called the Magnificat, but she says this, she sings this, and I, can't, I, 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 I couldn't do what you did the other day, <laughs> Sean, but uh, she says this, my soul glorifies the Lord, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He's regarded the low estate of His handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and His name is holy. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a low degree. He has lifted, he has filled the empty with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his posterity forever. And so he has this amazing song that the simple girl sings out of worship, realizing what God has done and what he is doing, that he's about to change history forever. And uh, these are the great heroes of the Christmas story, Elizabeth and uh, Mary. And I, I think what Luke loves most about these women is their faith. That's what seems to impress him the most. And Remember I said Theophilus was, a, was the guy that we need to focus on when we read this chapter because Luke is trying to convince Theophilus as a noble Roman that he can be trusted in terms of the account that he's bringing of what happened with Jesus. And so he's trying to say to Theophilus through the story, he's trying to say, do you notice that God is choosing humble people to demonstrate his purposes through? And that's what Elizabeth says in, in um uh, verse 43, why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord would come to me? And Mary says in verse 48, the Lord has regarded the lower state of me, his handmaiden. So I put it to you this morning as we think about Christmas, as we think about our lives, as we think about history, as we think about our place in this time of God's purpose for all of humanity and how we fit in, that the people that truly magnify God and worship God are people like Mary and Elizabeth who acknowledge that they are humble and are overwhelmed with the grace of God towards their lives. And I think that's what God wants from all of us. And uh, certainly there's another way that Mary's um, 
godliness is shown. And uh, I don't know if you remember, there's another Old Testament hero, a lady called Hannah. And uh, she too was childless. And uh, we can read a story in 1 Samuel 2. And she was being picked on by all the other women in the community because she didn't have a child. And so she cries out to God, and God blesses her with a son. And she too, when God blesses her with this amazing son that's the, the child of a promise to her, she also bursts out in song. And uh, I want to just read her song to you in 1 Samuel 2. She sings, and her song is very similar to Mary's song. She says this, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the, in, in the Lord my Savior. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none like our God. There's none beside thee. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so proudly. No arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. The feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and those that were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, and she has many children, is forlorn. The Lord brings to life, He brings down, and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, He also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Do you notice the similarities in these two songs? Both of them speak about, about the, what the Lord has done and they exalt Him, they rejoice in Him. Both of them say that their soul magnifies and glorifies God. Both speak of His holiness. Both speak about how God uh, picks the humble and exalts them up to a place of, of favor and he, and he takes those that are proud and arrogant and He brings them down to a place of being humbled. And so... These things are not word for word, but for me, this is what it demonstrates about this amazing woman called Mary, that she's so steeped in Scripture, she's so steeped in these Old Testament stories. I'm sure as a young Jewish girl, she, she learned the tradition of the Old Testament and the faith of women like Sarah and Deborah and Hannah and Ruth and Abigail, and she was rooted in that. And when she comes to worship the Lord for what God is doing in her life, what comes out of her mouth as a 15 or 16-year-old young girl is the Scripture and all that God has done in the history of her people. Doesn't that challenge you? What comes out of our mouths when God does great things for us? I hope it's the praises of God. I hope it's out of the history of the Scripture and what God has done for us that something of worship comes from the inside out when we see what God has done. And uh, there are three little sections in Mary's song. I'm going to very simply in five minutes just tell you what they are. In verse 47 and 46, she expresses what she feels in her heart, this joy that she feels. Uh, secondly, she mentions what God has done specifically for her as an individual in verse 48 and 49. But then thirdly, she spends time just describing how God is in general and the, His general character. And the reason why God has treated her this way is because He's being true to who He is. He's, he's being true to His character. And that leads her to rejoice and, and to worship with all of her heart. And here's the first thing that we see about the character of God. One, that He's holy. And because He's holy, He helps the humble. How many of you don't feel great and big and like you count, that you're just, that you're just a drop in the ocean of humanity? Anyone feel like that here? Because I feel like that all the time. You know what God's, the Holy God's promises to you? He will help you in your humility to be lifted up. I find that breathtaking. 
I find that amazing. And this is exactly what happens in this story. We see that God is holy, that His nature is holiness. He's completely free from sin. All His attributes are perfect. They all come together or cohere. They all come together in perfect harmony called holiness. That's what God is. He's holy. And so what Mary stresses, she stresses how the holiness of God expresses itself practically. And here there's some helpful lessons for you and I. How does holiness, how is it expressed in our lives? Well, we should express it in the same way as God expresses holiness through um, and demonstrated through, 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 uh, through the people that we are looking at this morning. And the common mistake that we can make, uh, and I think this is what Luke is trying to say to Theophilus, the common mistake that we can make is because God is great, because He is exalted above everything, uh, we, we think that perhaps He favors those that are great and exalted and, and, and do, do mighty things. Well, in fact, exactly the opposite is true. God's holiness expresses itself and will always express itself by lifting up the poor and the broken, those that are humble, those that know that they need Him, and bringing down the proud and the arrogant to a place of humility. That's how God's holiness expresses itself. You read it all through the Scripture. And why does Mary rejoice? Because she knows that she's nobody. She knows that she's the underdog. And she knows that the Almighty God, all of who's created everything, is taking her, who's really nobody, and choosing her through her life to do something incredible that's going to change the world. And so... She says three times in verse 50, he has mercy on those who fear him. Verse 52, he's exalted those of a low degree. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. That's the one way that God demonstrates his holiness. He lifts up the humble. The other way he demonstrates his holiness is that he brings down the proud and arrogant. And Mary says that three times as well. Verse 51, he has scattered the proud. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. Verse 52. Verse 53, the rich he has sent away empty. And so what I'm saying to you is this. Yeah, I think it's quite clear from Mary's words and from the whole of the Scripture that God is not partial to the rich. He doesn't show favoritism to the rich, the powerful, or the proud. He never does. Remember, we looked at James many years ago. Don't say to someone who's rich, come and sit in the front row of the church, and to the poor man, you belong at the back. James says, if you do that, the love of God is not in you. God never shows favoritism to those that have power or those that are rich. And probably he's trying to make that clear to Theophilus because Theophilus was a high-ranking Roman official, probably was powerful, had much wealth, and was probably quite proud of his position. And so there's a, Luke is saying this to us, not just for the sake of recording the story, but so that we can understand how God works and how salvation works. And he's trying to say to Theophilus, he's trying to say to us, look at how God is. He's not really impressed by money. He's not really impressed by power. He's not really, really impressed by your social standing. He's impressed by those. He has mercy on those that fear him who are humble, that are not for the sake of ego-boostingness, pursuing wealth and fame. No, but for the sake of the kingdom are denying themselves and living for others. That's the ones that he favors. That's God's way. We would be good to remember that this Christmas. That's how holiness expresses itself. And then secondly, um, the Holy God, He blesses Mary. And uh, we see that simply in the experience 
of, of verse 48 and 49. And uh, she says, he is, He's condescended to lift me up from my humble position. And so there's this unimaginable blessing that uh, Mary knows in her life that um, she bears the child that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think it's probably good for me just to say something right now, uh, warning against uh, elevating Mary to an unhealthy place in, in some way that she's morally unique and not unlike uh, unlike any other woman, which is not true. She certainly is unique in the sense that she bore the Son of God. But unfortunately, the Roman Catholic tradition, unfortunately, has um, exalted Mary to a place that is just not biblical. Uh, the Roman Church teaches that she was sinless, that she was perpetually a virgin, that she went straight to heaven without committing any sin, and none of those things have any standing in the New Testament or in any historical account outside of the Bible uh, so I'm not elevating Mary to that place at all. Um, I'm just saying that she was incredibly blessed in her life to um, bear the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In fact, Jesus, on a number of occasions, when people try to venerate Mary, he was quite direct with them. In uh, Luke 8, a woman cries out from the crowd and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that suckled you. And he simply turns around Jesus and says, he says, no, blessed rather are those that hear the word of God and keep it. And also in Luke 8, a mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him for the crowd. And, she, and he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And he says to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus was quite blunt in terms of venerating people and lifting them up to an unhealthy position. And lastly, my last point simply is this. Mary's heart worships and magnifies the Holy God. And so I'm trying to encourage us not to um, see the excesses of one tradition to help to stop us from really sharing in what is an incredible uh, life of this amazing girl, Mary, and the respect for her that Luke had. And there's this beauty in her that kind of reaches its peak when she cries out in the song and says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My question to conclude is very simple. <clears throat> How does a soul magnify God? How does your soul magnify God? Um, your mouth can demonstrate worship by crying out and saying, God is absolutely amazing. He's magnificent. And we speak His praises, and in that way our mouths magnify God. But no one hears your soul. Who hears your soul? None of us. I, I don't know what's happening in your soul right now. I can't hear what your soul is saying. But the Lord hears what your soul is saying. And I think that's what um, the point is here. And I don't think that Mary is just verbalizing a silent prayer towards God to say thank you. I think that what Luke means, at that moment, her soul is so overcome with the greatness of God, the holiness, the mercy of God, she is so overwhelmed that the feeling overtakes her and this, this un, un, unstoppable joy that bursts out from inside of her and she cannot... She can't, say any, she can't um, describe it in other, any other way except to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like this deep well of worship inside of her just pops open. And she just celebrates and worships with all of her heart. That's what he's trying to say. My spirit rejoices. And that's, you know, it's demonstrated so many times in the Scripture. I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving, Psalm 69. 
what I want to try and get you to see this morning is that we truly magnify the Lord in the same way that Mary did when we rejoice in Him. Isn't that liberating? When we rejoice in God, we demonstrate the same thing that Mary was demonstrating. And so, and that for me is very, very good news. That what I'm trying to say to you, what God wants more f- out of you than anything else is rejoicing, is being happy in what He's done. <laughs> it's just being grateful for His mercy. That's what He loves most. That's what brings Him glory the most in your life is when you simply magnify Him, when you simply relax and be happy in the mercy of God in your life. So as you go and eat lunch today, can I ask you to do this? Relax and be happy in the mercy of God in your life. That's what brings God the most glory is when you relax and be happy and say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. And when you are in that place, your soul, your soul magnifies him. And that's what brings him most pleasure is when your soul, the deepest part of you is bringing him glory and saying, I'm so grateful, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. And that would be very hard to do if it was a command from God. But you know what he does? He gives us his spirit that we can, he does it on the inside of us anyway. And so, friends, will you magnify the Lord this Christmas? <laughs> will you let your soul cry out to Him and just say, thank you, Jesus, for all you've done? That's really what brings Him glory. That's really what He loves more than anything else is that deep part of you saying, thank you. That's what Christmas is about. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for all that you've poured on my life. And Jesus, help me by your Spirit to be as generous to others as you have been towards me. To forgive quickly. To live kindly in the same way that you have been kind and forgiven me. That is the message of Christmas. That is the message of the Gospel. God bless you. Enjoy your rib of beef. Enjoy your turkey. Enjoy whatever you're going to eat. But please, when you toast each other, relax and be happy in the mercy of God to you. That's what he loves most. That's what brings him the most pleasure. And we're going to sing one more song.